Welcome to the Spark Youth Podcast. Spark is the youth ministry of the Enfield and Strathfield Anglican Church. Our mission is to gather to hear God's word, to grow in Christ's likeness, and to go in prayerful proclamation. To find out more about us, you can go to our website at fields.org.au forward slash spark, or you can find us on our Instagram page at instagram.com forward slash youth underscore of underscore spark. So what I want to say is suffering is everywhere. By the time that this seminar is finished, roughly five children throughout the world will have died from abuse and violence. Tens of thousands of people die every day from unexpected tragedy, traffic accidents and cancer. That's comparable to the population of a small city being swept away each and every single day, leaving families and friends devastated in its wake. And the magnitude of suffering, when you think about it, is actually overwhelming. Enormous numbers of deaths have happened in one massive event, such as the 1970 Bola cyclone in Bangladesh, the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami, and the 2010 Haiti earthquake, each of which killed 300,000 people or more in, in just a moment of time. And then there are the horrendous evil that men have perpetrated throughout history. Three million Africans forcibly transported by the British slave trade. Six million Jews murdered in the Holocaust. The Rwandan genocide. The trafficking of more than two million children per year in the global sex trade. And the world right now is poised for war as Russia has invaded Ukraine. Now, when we hear of all of this suffering, it's easy for us to think of ourselves as, well, that will probably never happen to me. To poor people, maybe, or maybe to people who don't take precautions, but it probably won't happen to me. But no matter what precautions you or I take, no matter how hard we try and study to get a good job to be wealthy and safe and secure, no matter how much money you end up making, or planning that you do, nothing will prevent the loss of loved ones, of illness, financial disaster, or a bunch of other troubles that enter your life. And I know, for example, that some of you actually sometimes find it hard to go to school, or even to spa, because of anxiety. I know some of you have had a dad that has walked out on your family, for example, and you wonder, why did, why did that happen? All of us have recently experienced a pandemic. So in the sense, all of us have suffered from isolation or loneliness, and many of us from illness. I know some people who are here today, they just got back from being in isolation due to COVID. And I assume nearly all of us have felt anxious or picked on or misunderstood or bullied or mistreated at some point in our lives. I remember right after high school finished, I had a friend called Josh, and literally within the weeks after, not that Josh, um, weeks after high school finished, he was actually burnt alive in a household fire. And I visited him in hospital, and his whole body was, whole body was wrapped in bandages. And he died after a few weeks uh, of excruciating pain. So when we're confronted with such pain, we find ourselves asking, why? And it's a question frequently asked in the Bible itself. The psalmist, Jeremiah, Job, Habakkuk, Elijah, all find the apparent victory of of evil over good to be more than they can handle when they say, why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? 
They also say, Job also says, why do the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? So now I want us to spend a moment in our discussion groups sharing the type of suffering that you've experienced or witnessed to those. A lot of the time people are going to challenge you as a Christian for how can a loving God and an all-powerful God let suffering happen? But as Christians, I think the best way to respond is by asking what their worldview is and asking them how their worldview or their religion gives an account for suffering. Because I believe the Christian worldview actually has the strongest defense for why God has allowed suffering into the world. So we're going to be discussing that now. So most of those around us have adopted what I would say is a secular view, which is why I think so many people wanted to go to the atheism table. But I think even more, whoever was the secular person, Daniel, those two tables I think represent where most of the people that we know have, even if they're um, Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu, they've probably become more secular or more atheist, right? Uh, where the, so the goal to life really is happiness and comfort, and we seek to minimise and avoid suffering at all costs. Many have observed that our own secular or Western culture is one of the weakest cultures in the history of the world in responding to suffering and pain. Our Western society gives us no explanation for suffering and very little guidance as to how to deal with it. But rather, it gives them medicine and counselling to help avoid negative thoughts and reduce pain. One writer bluntly puts it, Western society's highest goal is to prevent suffering. To prevent suffering. But it's our very nature to search to find some reason for our suffering. So there's a guy who wrote um, a book called Victor Frankel, and it's his own account of being one of the Jews in, who was in a concentration camp during Nazi Germany. And he found, from his own experience being in a Nazi concentration camp, that those who survived longest in the concentration camps, it's not because they were physically strong, but it's because um, they had meaning. And he famously said, those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. Those who have a why to live can bear with almost any how. So, how does Christianity compare with all of these worldviews and religions we've just discussed regarding suffering? Well, firstly, unlike Islam, Christians are permitted, even encouraged, to express their grief and questions to God. In fact, the whole book of Job and the whole book of Psalms is essentially... David and Job asking questions about their suffering to God. Unlike Buddhists, Christians believe suffering is real and it's not an illusion. Unlike Hindus who believe in karma, Christians believe that suffering is often not the direct result of someone's sin. Life sometimes just isn't fair because we live in a fallen world. And unlike atheists who see no higher purpose in suffering, Christians believe suffering is meaningful. While suffering can move us away from God, my hope that today, suffering can move you closer towards God. If you've ever read the Narnia books or watched the Narnia movies, you'll know C.S. Lewis. Well, he famously put it, God whispers in our pleasures, he speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. So, for those of you who are here and you don't yet trust Jesus, my hope today is that you'll see your need for someone greater than yourself. And for those of you who are Christian, my aim for this seminar is that This will help you to trust God more in your suffering and more deeply experience His love. 
So now what we're going to do is we're going to turn to the Bible and we're going to look at what Jesus encountered in terms of suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane. So, um, so let's just reflect on what's going on in the Garden. Okay, so firstly, Jesus knew he was going to go to the cross. Not by accident or because really bad people got away with a really bad plan, but three times in Matthew, Jesus predicts his own death saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. There's not too many people I know who know when they're going to die and how they're going to die, but Jesus does. And the reason um, he gave for why he suffered was because he said he came as a ransom, which means as a payment for the sins of many. In other words, God planned it all along. Jesus said he must suffer and be cured because that's why God sent him into the world. That is the ultimate explanation of why Jesus died on the cross. God willed it and Jesus willingly obeyed. But the explanation only leads to another question. Why did God will Jesus to die on the cross? Why did Jesus obey? Was it easy for Jesus? Because he was Jesus. Well, I guess we can say no. To speak of God's plan doesn't take anything away from the horror of crucifixion. Never, um, knowing his father's plan didn't mean it was an easy thing for Jesus to go to the cross. Just because he said he's going to go to Jerusalem to die, this doesn't make it light and easy. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He prayed this prayer, Luke records, because he was in agony, and as Jin said, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. And Matthew and Mark add in their account that Jesus was greatly sorrowful and troubled, overwhelmed with sorrow. This ex expresses extreme sorrow, a mental pain, distress, as if there's no escape for Jesus, because Jesus was greatly distressed. Don't ever take the cross for granted. It's true that because of the cross we receive the gift of salvation, but it actually was very costly for Jesus. It cost him everything, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. On the cross, Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it cost the Father his only beloved Son, the Son he loved most deeply. So the cross of Christ cost the Father the searing pain of losing his one and only son. But then there's the question that we also discussed. Doesn't Jesus know everything? If so, why did he ask for the cup to be taken away? Well, my answer to this comes firstly, because being fully human, he knew how horrendous the pain was going to be. So firstly, the reason is he just knew how horrible it was going to be. But secondly, Jesus chose to limit his divine powers when he became man. So, what we know about God, God is present everywhere, He's all-powerful, and He's all-known. Jesus actually possessed all of these powers, but He chose not to use those powers when He was on earth most of the time. Jesus is present everywhere, yet He travelled from place to place by foot, typically, or by boat or donkey occasionally. When Jesus wanted to go to Jerusalem, what did He do? He walked. He didn't stand on Capernaum and tell his disciples, Since I am present everywhere, I'm already in Jerusalem. So I'll stay here 
and see you when you arrive. When he walked, he chose not to exercise his ability to be present everywhere. Secondarily, Jesus is all-powerful. Yet, unless he ate food, he became hungry. Without sleep, he became tired. Eventually, he slept, and he slept really deeply when he was on the boat during the storm. He did not draw on all of his power of his um, got divine nature to fill his empty stomach and refresh his weary body. So secondarily, he's all-powerful, but he limited that. Thirdly, he's all-knowing, yet he laid aside his knowledge too. Jesus asked genuine questions in the Gospels. In Mark 5, Jesus asked, Who touched me? And looked around to see who it might be. In Mark 9, he asked the disciples, What are you arguing about? In John 5, he asked a man who had long been sick why he was sick and how long. On other occasions, he asked visitors, What do you want me to do for you? Indeed, if Jesus had constantly exercised all his powers as God, he would not have led a genuinely human life. If he endured no human limitations, God the Son, taking on human flesh, was simply a charade. If the crucifixion caused Jesus no pain, how could he suffer for us? If no bodily desires touched him, how can we say, as Hebrews 4.15 said, as we looked at, he was in every respect tempted as we are. Um, Now I want to reflect briefly on the disciples in the garden. We talked about Jesus in the garden, but what about the disciples? Well, in chapter 26, Jesus says numerous times for them to be watchful and alert and to pray. Knowing he was about to be betrayed, twice Jesus commands his disciples to watch and pray. But twice Jesus returns to find that his disciples are sleeping. And now Jesus knew they needed God's strength and alertness so that they would remain faithful to Jesus when that hour came. They slept because they didn't understand the hour of Jesus' betrayal and suffering was upon them. They were caught off guard. And so for them, temptation came in the form of abandoning Jesus because in verse 56 we read, then all the disciples left Jesus and fled. The idea of hardship is also mentioned back earlier in Matthew in the, if you've ever heard the parable of the different soils, one of the different soils is the soil that was thrown onto rocky ground and it says that that seed endures for a while and when tribulation, which just means suffering, or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away just like the disciples did. And like the disciples, we're to expect opposition and temptation. And so for this reason, in the Lord's Prayer, can you remember the last line of the Lord's Prayer? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because who in our own strength can resist the power of temptation in that moment when it rises up against us? Think of how cleverly our temptations have pleaded with us for just one small sin. So our prayers both protect us from temptation and make us aware of when it's going to happen. And so, how is your prayer life? The last question I would ask is, just like Jesus was asking his disciples to pray, I want to encourage you, how is your prayer life? One Christian writer said, who's John Piper, he said, One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove on the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. So at a practical level, if part of the disciples' problem was they were too tired, then don't leave your prayers to the end of the day. Actually, do it at the start of the day when you have um, energy. 
And as you pray, pray regularly for an awareness of temptation and the strength to resist temptation when it comes. And especially as temptation happens, in those very moments, keep fighting that in prayer that God will give you the strength to resist. And if you want to help your brothers and sisters prepare for temptation, pray for the other Christians here at Spark as well. In fact, you can even call up your friends here at Spark during the week to pray for them, or you can send them a message saying, I'm praying for you. Imagine if our whole youth group was praying for each other. How, how encouraging would that be, and how much would that lead to people growing and standing firm in their faith? So the last thing we're going to do now, we're going to move back to our discussion group. So in a moment, you're going to get up and go back to the same table you started off at. And there's just um, a couple of questions we're going to discuss as we close out 